Hi, Dana. Woo! <laughs> Very natural. <laughs>
It's okay. something that's happening right now. It's pop culture. It is. Well, it's also pop psychology. Yeah. Which I don't know. Is that a thing? Pop psychology? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like appeal to the masses psychology. Yeah, it's like it's it's psychology that like sounds good on the surface, but there's really not a lot of research behind it. Oh. Like what's something in pop psychology? I'm doing mindful fishing. And then there's the big So mindful blank. Mindful blank, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mind mindful blank and then people are like this is the new thing. I'm going to drive your car mindfully. Mm-hmm. And it's like Oh, that is blank mindful. Yeah. You can go either way. Okay. But that's a pop psychology thing, I feel like. We were just talking the other day about um, CBD oil. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's another... Uh, would you call that pop psychology? It's kind of pop psychiatry. Yeah. I think it's like pop mental health when people are like, I, I took a drop of CBD. I, I slept the like a log. I slept like a log. My pain is gone. I slept like a baby on a log. We should talk about the placebo effect at some point. Yeah. We should. This could be a placebo cast. Like it makes you feel better. It makes it, you there's feel no like science behind it. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're learning. Yeah. Which is just the placebo effect. Because when anyone <laughs> gives you any push for more detail, it comes crumbling down like a house of cards. Mm, I love that show. Starring Kevin Spacey. Uh, it was good like the first two. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we should talk about ourselves. My background is in mostly kids with behavior disorders and working with kids and families. Who are you? I am a clinical psychologist. Are you single? No, I'm not. Mm. <laughs> I have a girlfriend. Thank you. Okay. It's you. <laughs> okay. To clarify. All right. I am a psychologist. I work at a hospital. I trained at Virginia Tech and I like to party. We think we're both funny. So mm-hmm. we decided. People to- tell us all the time that we think that we're funny. <laughs> Again, just to give you a little bit more information, let you know where we're coming from. We both have different training in psychology. So one of the things that maybe a lot of people don't know or do know, I don't know. I feel like being a consumer in the world of trying to find a therapist or trying to figure out what's going on with psychology is sometimes confusing. So I'll just tell you that my training is in behavioral psychology, applied behavior analysis specifically, and school psychology. So that means looking at why students aren't learning, what's going on with kids when they are having difficulties in various areas of learning. And it could be related to autism. It could be related to other types of disabilities, but really focusing on working with teams and teachers around why kids aren't learning and why kids are having difficulty in school. But my theoretical orientation is behavioral psychology. Cool. What's yours? I am more cognitive behavioral, but I do a lot of acceptance and commitment therapy. So it actually, interestingly, comes from a lot from the applied behavior analysis world. Mm-hmm. But it's more about how we learn and how we think. What else? What else do I do? Yeah. So I am a primary care psychologist. Okay, what is that? So I, uh, much like you don't have to be sick, have a primary care doctor you don't have to be mentally ill to have a primary care psychologist but it's good to have when when problems come up so usually i see people on the same day they see their primary care doctor and talk about mental health and behavioral wellness mm. and do any assessments that might need to happen to see how people are doing and also i'm a resource if people start experiencing things like depression or anxiety or more behavioral problems like insomnia or chronic pain mm. and doing brief therapies with them to help out. Hmm. So back to your point about you don't need to be sick to have a physician. Mm-hmm. Why would you go to a doctor if you weren't sick? Don't you do like a yearly oh, check yeah, yeah, yeah. with your plan? Yeah. 
I well, you should. Do you? Mm. I did my once a decade checkup <laughs> a few months ago. How's your health? He said it was amazing. And I said, that's terrible news because I will see you again in a decade. What do you say about your back bump? He squeezed it and he goes, yep. And then he never really talked about it again. I think the, I grossed him out. The TSA guy gave you more information about your back bump. Yeah. The, the guy at the TSA <laughs> who thought it was a bomb gave me more advice. <laughs> he said it was benign. Oh God. Why do you think he had medical training? I took it more that he has the same bump, that we were bump brothers, <laughs> and he was trying to build a community. Do you think I should talk to someone about the fact that you and my dad both have a back bump and that maybe that's one of the reasons I find you attractive? I think you should talk to your dad about it. I think you should tell everyone what the back bump really is. It's a, a fatty tumor. Yeah. Dogs and David Sedaris <laughs> get them all the time. <laughs> and it... It makes it difficult to sleep on my back. Does it really? Not really. Because okay. you sleep on your back. I know. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> I'll f yeah. Who's in charge here? Me or the bump? That's a bumper sticker I should make. So this is reverse psychology, the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Have you learned anything yet? Mm -hmm. What do you know about psychology so far? Ask yourself that. At this point, please take out a piece of paper <laughs> and a pencil. Pause the podcast and write down a list of things you know about both psychology and my back. And we're back. Which list was longer? So today we'll dissect why I'm attracted to Mike and my dad. I'm not attracted to my dad, but why? I am a little bit. Well, he's got a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to be told what to do. Your um, dad's good at that. What is your goal for doing this? My goal is to... Get the word out there. Okay. <laughs> to <laughs> Good. Get the word out there about psychology. Not enough people know about psychology. Let's talk about what a SMART goal is. Then we can make SMART goals out of this. Okay. That's a good idea. Thank you. Okay. SMART goals. When do you use them? When do I use yeah. them? Yeah. Whenever I have to make a goal. I do a Is this psychology? This is psychology. I do a lot of this with patients because okay. they usually they come in with really vague and kind of terrible goals. Like I want to feel better. Let's not. It's not patient shame. We're not patient shaming. I'm saying I'm goal shaming. All right. Okay. Love the person, hate their goals. <laughs> I always say that. No, but people often have, have more vague goals. Like, uh, I want to feel better. Or I don't want to be anxious. Which is good, but it's also really hard to know if you're doing it or if you're done or how much progress you're making. So a SMART goal is a way to actually make a goal that you can work on. And so... Every letter means a word. Oh, there's an old lady walking by. Why is she looking at our house? Okay, keep going. We should close the curtains. <laughs> uh, every letter stands for a word because in psychology, everything needs to spell something because we're clever. And so the S is specific. So you want your goal to be targeted towards something. You're looking at me with that like therapist face that you do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is it working? Do you feel better? Specific. No, I'm not really listening. <laughs> I know. Well, you can listen back to this and learn something. Okay. So it's specific. So okay. it's targeted. So mm -hmm. if I said, what do you want to do with this podcast? And you said, I want to have a turkey sandwich. I'm like, that's cool. But let's talk about the podcast. M is measurable. And that's the most important one. Wait, when do people need to make goals, though? Always. Whenever you, you're in therapy, you should have goals. Oh, so these are goals that people make with you in therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I didn't say that part. No, you didn't, but that's okay. Yeah, so whenever whenever someone comes in, that's usually the first thing we do is we work on SMART goals. Because so you're like, why are you here? And they're like, I don't know. 
Yeah. Or they're like, my my doctor told me I needed to see you. Mm-hmm. Or more commonly, they're like, my wife or husband told me I have to come talk to someone. Mm. And then I say, well, what do you want to talk about? And they go, I don't know. And then so we talk about let's well, let's let's work on what you want to do. M is measurable. So you want a frequency or a duration. You want to know how much you have to do and when you're done. A, this, some people don't always agree on what the A stands for. Ooh, I debate. Have, I know, debate. Well, it's more that I I didn't know what it stood for for the longest time, but I just made something up, and now it's a <laughs> habit that. So I say agreed upon. Some people say achievable. Mm. But I'm like, that's. I like the agreed upon because it, it means that you're collaborating with your therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important to collaborate with the therapist. So I, yeah, so you, you need to agree to it, and it should really come in from you anyways. But it should also agree with your other goals in life mm. so if you were saying that's so acty of you i know i am acty so like acty if, is acceptance and commitment therapy for those of you who wanted to know for you rubes um rube goldberg mm-hmm. he was one <laughs> yeah so you also want your goals to agree with the other stuff you want to do so like if your goal is to get in shape and your smart goal was i'm gonna go to the gym 20 hours a week that's cool you'll you'll get ripped but you, you might not be going to work because you're so busy at the gym. So you don't want any of your goals to mess with other parts. Mm-hmm. At its worst, your goals shouldn't affect anything but the target area. But at, at its best, maybe you can do some double duty. So if you, if you value, let's say, your health and your relationship, you can say, I'm going to go for a walk with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And that way you're not only working out, but you're also spending time with someone. I like that. R is realistic. We're only on R. What? We're only on R. What's well, smart? We're almost at the end. Okay. Realistic. Mm-hmm. So you want it to be challenging but not impossible. So if you said your smart goal was, I just want to like think once about my health. Mm-hmm. Cool. You're already done. Push yourself. But if you say, I'm going to uh, run a marathon this week, then let's pair that back and say, I'm going to go for a walk. So you want to challenge yourself but not be so challenging that you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And T is time sensitive because people need time limits. Because if you say you're going to get it done next week, you're going to do it the day before. So you might as well just set that deadline. Smart goal. So let's make a smart goal for this. Okay. Um, do you feel better yet? Always. Oh, always feeling better. Yeah. AFB. AFB. That's how I live my life. Yeah. Always feeling better. Should we talk about your accent though? In case people are um, wondering. I have a non-distinct <laughs> accent. Regional accent. I have a regional accent. which makes me great. As Non-regional, in- regional accent. Mm-hmm. I would make a great newscaster because my accent is exotic enough, but it's also very, it's very charming. It's nondescript. It's nondescript, much like most of my life. So, Mike. I say certain words you think weird. I think that's offensive. No, you don't. But people, I, I talked to someone recently from upstate New York and they also had certain things they said differently not but not in the same way yeah no I think that's when you're born in upstate New York you <laughs> you just... you're, you're bequeathed certain wo- like you get a list of words and then your doctor says all right learn these incorrectly just everyone gets a different set of words everyone though. gets a unique set and it's like your social security number it's your words <laughs> so when I met Mike I noticed this accent and mm-hmm. then what really sealed the deal on the accent was our friend of ours who sealed the deal on the accent yeah don't worry about it okay our friend had a dog named cal like cal ripkin mm-hmm. c c-a-l mm-hmm. and can you just say that kale okay then the green leafy vegetable that you eat what's that called K- kale no you're trying i'm trying really hard to not get made fun of 
no baby um no baby that's a good name for a podcast (laughs) so what's funny about it to me is that the a has two syllables so say that again kale yeah so ale kale 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 yeah it's uh it's it's not it's a it is a one syllable word actually Somehow Mike makes it into a two syllable mm-hmm. word. I think like it's kale. I think it's because I have good rhythm. Can you tell me what S is again? Specific. All right. It should so be something about podcasting. What my specific goal around making this podcast is thinking out loud. <laughs> You're giving me the worst look. <laughs> At silence. It's <laughs> trying to get you to fill the space with some more information. You didn't sit with it very long. No, I don't like doing that. Really? I find it offensive. Really? Yeah. I like sitting in silence in therapy. When I was in therapy briefly, (laughs) I was really focused on trying to be a good patient, which was distracting from actual therapy. Yeah. So I was trying to give as much detail as I could for everything. And then my therapist asked me a question and then I answered as best as I thought I could. Then he just kind of sat and stared at me. And in my head, I was like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to, you think I'm holding back something, but I'm not. And so I just sat there and stared at him. And then after like three minutes... He just goes, well, that's not going to work. But I learned. I was like, well, if I think someone's holding back, I'm just going to tell them. I think that there's something else there. Okay, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. That's good. And I want to say that not everyone's like you. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's the same type of patient Mm -hmm. as you. And I sometimes really enjoy the silence as a space to think more. So Mm -hmm. I like sitting in a room with someone who's asked me a question and can kind of hold that space. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I'm not saying I, I never sit in silence. Mm-hmm. I think it's more if I ask a question and someone answers it, I don't like to just sit and stare at them. I don't stare, though. Like, I, I don't stare at their face. I kind of just sit and kind mm-hmm. of relax my eyes. I'm not really looking mm-hmm. at anything. Yeah. In fact, I did have a therapist fall asleep on me once. Did you? Yeah. It what was, did that make you? How did that make you feel about your problem? It was really upsetting. Did you gently lay a blanket over him? <laughs> he woke up. Like, it was a quick sleep. And then he tried to play it off like he didn't sleep. <laughs> did he wake up? He was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like he was having a night terror. <laughs> no, no, no. no. He, he coolly slid into an awake state. <laughs> And oh, I think uh, he does it a lot. I know. I he mean, should do a therapy with sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> he should just get a better night's sleep to keep himself awake. We're making a smarkle, right? We're making a smarkle. But I want to talk briefly about how you don't like to maintain silence in therapy. That's presumptuous. You said it. I said I don't. Like you, you said, it's offensive. That's those are your it's words. A, I I said I find it offensive to not. I find it offensive to use silence when you feel like someone is not saying something. I feel like my personal okay. feeling as a therapist. I have a I have some feedback for you. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I have some feedback for you that uh, you interrupted <laughs> me. I feel like okay. if I'm having a reaction, sure. as a therapist, sure. I owe it to the other person to tell them. Do you think I can let my mom and dad listen to this podcast? Because I talked about cum gutters earlier. I think that your your dad would would laugh. I feel like your mom will sit in silence and at the end just quietly go, I'm not I'm not having a good time. <laughs> She's said that before. She says that all the time. <laughs> and so I think that y- 
She said that before at a hockey game. Yeah. But my mom hates crowds. She hates crowds. She hates noise, loud noises. Ice. Canadians. <laughs> Cold. Being around people. Popcorn. So we took her we took her to a hockey game. Yeah. Of course. Hoping all those things would cancel each other out. And she, quote, I'm <laughs> not having a good time. Yeah. Okay. Smart goals. Oh, wait. So my feedback to you was, I think that your processing speed is incredibly fast. Processing speed is the rate at which you process information, which sounds like it's self-explanatory sort of on the surface, but it's related to a lot of different things in terms of learning and taking in your environment and all that kind of stuff. So people with fast processing speed can take in new information and quickly process it in a way that they can move on, whether that's saying something as a result or Mike in the airport will quickly, I mean, I've never seen someone quicker look at the <laughs> screens and see like, oh, our flight is departing from gate A5 and I've barely looked up. So Mike is just very, very, very fast about everything. Mm-hmm. Well, not everything, if you know what I mean. And so I can see why you would think that it's awkward to have someone imagine that you don't have anything to say and you need to sit in silence because everything you have to say comes to you within the first two seconds. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people really have to think about it and really need to sit there and that space allows them to do that. Right, but I... My thinking is if I want to use silence, I'll at least tell them that let's let's think about that for a few more minutes. I'll, I'll give them... Oh, like a directive. I'll give them a directive. Like not just let them sit there in silence being like, why is my therapist not saying right. anything? Because I think that our, a lot of times people are already coming into therapy kind of anticipating a more combative experience or a more like... Especially with, with, like secretive experience, like like they don't know what to expect and they think that the psychologist is reading their mind. Right. And I think some people are uncomfortable. So I like to be really transparent of what I'm doing. And so if I use silence, I like to let them know beforehand. Like if I asked you a question mm-hmm. and you gave, if you said something that didn't completely make sense to me, mm-hmm. instead of just like waiting for you to keep going, I would say, I can see that, but it also doesn't totally make sense because of blah, blah, blah. Let's sit for a second and try to think if there's any more to that. That way, you would say it doesn't make sense. Oh yeah, all the time. I always tell people if it, if things don't if if I'm confused, I let people know. Hmm. Or if I think you more are... likely, if I think that they're confused, or if they say something that is not super accurate, I'll tell them I'm confused. So if they say like my like I hear it a lot with with people who talk about how that they love their kids but also do something like like really inappropriate. Like they'll do heroin. And it's like, oh, I'm really confused because you love your kids, but you spent all last weekend doing heroin. How are those two things going on? Hmm. That way they can try to either come up with an explanation or they can like be like, well, that yeah, I guess in that moment I was not being the best person who loves their kids. I feel like, and we've talked about this before, a lot of people who have experience in going to therapy, you know, there's just a vast landscape of different types of therapists out there and different training, different personalities, different modalities, those sorts of things. I feel like when we've talked about this before, you have been concerned, I guess is the word, that there are people who have been in therapy for a long time 
without really having goals and without having kind of a, a more dynamic experience with their therapist. It just becomes very talk and venting oriented mm-hmm. versus like this is someone I pay so I go and vent versus this is someone I pay and I go to actually change something. Change. Yeah. I think the worst thing I hear in therapy is when people say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to come and vent about my ex, mm-hmm. whether it's like my wife, my kids, my whatever. That way I don't have to at home. So it's like, I'm going to put up with things. Mm. And then use this space. And then use this space to just kind of blow up and then go back to that space. Whereas I thought, think it's going to be more effective to say, let's find a way that you can change that space so you don't feel the need to come see someone once a week. Because that's not... Mm. effective because you're you're miserable for a week and then you talk for an hour mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. make anything better and so i think having goals and making because ideally the way i was trained therapy is supposed to be time limited do you feel like maybe sometimes your type of therapy is too didactic um i think that some people don't like it because they're ex- they want to vent and there's a therapist out there for them if right. that's what and they that's, want. And that's what I say. There's there's definitely – I have people that, that will say, like, I don't want to make change. I just want to vent. And I kind of give an explanation of what I usually do and then help them to find the therapist that's going to do that, uh, which is funny. That's what they're looking for. I mean, because my style feels good for me, and it's kind of the therapist that I would want to have. Mm. And I – Be the therapist you want to have. Be the therapist you want to see in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it would be unfair to the client to pretend to do a style of therapy I don't like. Like, I, I, I feel like I would be terrible at... Yeah, inauthentic. I'd be, yeah, I'd be awful at hanging out and listening to you vent and being like, mm-hmm. Kind of oh, like our relationship. Do I, uh, no, you're good at it, baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like they would be able to tell or if, if they couldn't, I feel like I would just get really, t- like, really drained. Like... Mm. I, if I'm doing more didactic therapy, I don't feel tired afterwards. I feel like more energetic. But if I end up doing like hmm. listening to people vent with no change, I get really tired and really drained and really frustrated. That actually makes me think of something that I hear a lot. So From me? No, just in general out oh. there. I'll have people say things like, yeah, I love listening to people. I love hearing about people's issues. I've always been like someone that people come to. And so I should have been a psychologist like that. That's what we do. Like we're just we're people who just love to hear about people's problems or we love to sit with people's pain. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that that's kind of a misnomer, like a, a misunderstood idea about going to therapy and being a psychologist is that we just kind of take on people's problems all day. Um, and I, I feel the same way. Like I can get really drained really quickly. So I, I mean, it's taken a long time to kind of find that balance, but I'm not just an empty vessel of fill me up with your pain <laughs> because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. But I do think that's what people expect in there. I get a lot of people yeah. that come in and say, uh, I just wanted to talk to someone. I'm like, oh, cool. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. It's like, well, and I'll like throw some ideas out and it's like oh you like oftentimes it feels like they don't want to talk they want to be told like i think a lot of times people like this like uh, a catharsis idea for therapy like mm. if you give me the why the sweater's gonna unravel and everything's gonna get better 
And then I love that Weezer song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My smarkle is that I would like to over time talk about and demystify what the therapy process is, mm. but also get the word out. Get the word out is always the first goal. <laughs> goal two is to be able to, um, yeah, just to, to have that idea like what is not just the S. Yeah, I'm gonna be. Get, I'm trying to think of a way to be able to measure it. To have, are you talking about goal two, or are you talking about the A, or the M? <laughs> so the specific is yeah. what I want to do with the podcast. Yeah, M is I want to have at least a percentage of episodes that really focus on the process in therapy, or what what's helpful for people. Like what what did the research show? Like when do people get better in therapy? Like Sesame Street when you say this episode is brought to you by the letter m mm-hmm, for measurable a agreed upon i'm agreeing to it and <laughs> i think that it's not gonna really mess up anything uh, it's, i think it's realistic but i think that would be a good thing i would like that's what i like to get for people to, to get out of it if anyone's on the fence about going to therapy to be like oh yeah that sounds like what do you want to do with with this um i like to i, I well first of all i really being a psychologist and kind of seeing the world through that lens, I want to share the word. No, and get it, and get it out. S specific. This is very unspecific, I think, but we'll just call it my S. <laughs> You're falling asleep like my therapist did one. I think it's me. <laughs> Turns out it's me. I have some feedback for you. You keep falling asleep in therapy. I have some feedback for you. I think it's me. <laughs> Um, so my specific unspecific goal is, um, to really just talk about psychology and like really talk about it in a way that people can understand, like, again, maybe this is what you said. I wasn't listening. Um, demystify psychology Mm -hmm. and the therapeutic process. Yeah. I like talking about psychology. I think it's really fun. And I think there is a lot of cool stuff with it. Speaking of the interest in psychology, decided we were going to have an unethical corner. A lot of psychology has its roots in really awful, awful experiments on mm-hmm. people who didn't always know they were being experimented on. Yeah. Experiments in psychology are where we learn a lot about phenomena in psychology. And so we'll, we'll talk about some of those. But one of the kind of biggest psychology experiments in my area of psychology is the Watson study in the early 1900s at Johns Hopkins, actually, mm, funny the- enough. B-J-H. A lot of people don't know this, but his name was actually Johns. Yeah, it's plural. Yeah. More, it's not, he wasn't more than one person. He was one person with two names. Well, he only had one name, but he's implied (laughs) two names. Two, it's implied two people. Mm -hmm. Johns Hopkins. Yeah, it's like he owned his last name. He owned himself. There's no apostrophe though. Eric Erickson changed his name. Did you know that? To Eric Erickson? Yeah. Because he wanted to be this. Who is Eric Erickson? Eric Erickson is a personality theorist. Okay. He did the conflicts throughout life that people have to go through. Sure. He changed his name. I want to say after graduate school. What was his name? Eric something else. I forgot what the last name was. Eric somethingson. Something. But then he wanted to show that he was a self-made man. And mm-hmm. so he was Eric Erickson. So he was the son of himself. Oh. Which is kind of cool, but also kind of douchey. Well, a lot of them were kind of douchey. Yeah. Like, I mean... Uh, 
With all due respect. I am the son of myself. With all due respect, though, a lot of early psychologists were just egomaniacs. Yeah, and super into spanking and cocaine. That's Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to be really narcissistic to believe that your theory is the theory that's going to change yeah, the world. Yeah, or that people want to listen to you for half an hour talk about psychology. <laughs> um, so back to Watson. John. Back to your smart goal. John Watson... It's funny, at Johns Hopkins. I wonder if they ever talked about that. Johns and John? Maybe that's why it was plural. John Watson was not living in the same time period as Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. John Watson got kicked out of Hopkins for sleeping with his student. Postdoc. Well, it's still a student. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But a lot lot of old psychologist people, historic people slept slept with. with... students students. and well they were full narcissists yeah they were full-blown like i can get away with anything i can do anything i'm just gonna stick it wherever i want just like bill clinton bill s clinton is that his middle name no leroy is it i don't know bill l bill bill what if his what if his full name was william (laughs) william cosby clinton (laughs) william bill cosby clinton (laughs) (laughs) what a nickname Oh. Okay. What's what's your so that okay. was, that's your goal no, is no, to no. talk no, about psychology. I'm still talking about John Watson <laughs> because it's interesting. It's a it, the, we're still in unethical corner. So basically, John Watson took the son of one of the nurses at Johns Hopkins at the time, and we all know him as Little Albert. Oh yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> was so NPR of you. Oh. Oh yeah. They were trying to teach fear. Yeah, they were trying to condition fear, mm-hmm. right? So he was because prior to that, people thought that you were you were born fearing certain things. Right. It was it was innate. 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 Innate, and in Nathaniel and other children, it was all inside <laughs> of them. And Watson said, "I have a bunch of hot students." No, well, this is bef- maybe before that. I don't know. But he wanted to take a child and condition fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is uh, John Watson is commonly known as the father of behaviorism, which is the area of psychology that I am trained in. He's your dad. He's my grandfather of my grandfather. Is he in your academic family tree? He sure is. Is Thank you for asking. You're welcome. I could tell. Yeah. You have his nose. So he took Albert. How did they condition fear? He Mm -hmm. took him? Did the nurse know he was doing it? Um, yeah, she volunteered him, but oh, she didn't what know what, she didn't know what it was. I mean, she didn't know. It's even worse to like, no questions asked. Take my well, son. Well, I mean, that's how it was, you know? Yeah. That's how it was back then. Yeah. He hasn't been. It was like, there's a famous psychologist. I'm going to do some work with your child that you can actually watch the videos. It's, it's really sad, but basically, uh, there was a loud noise. I think it was a symbol. Like I thought he hit the hammer. He, he hit the hammer on the table behind him. No, it was a, I think it was a symbol because mm. it made a like very loud ringing. Uh, a symbol of fear. <laughs> Get it? Mm-hmm. That produces a startle reaction, right? Like that's an innate behavior. Mm-hmm. A startle reaction. So it's a reflex. Yeah. When did your parents sit you down and teach you how to be startled? <laughs> no, that's the point. You you don't need to be taught that. That's something you're born with. That's mm, that's evolutionary. Maybe you're born with it. Psychology. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's conditioned. <laughs> so he took the symbol, hammered the symbol, produced a startle effect. The baby threw his hands up and cried. Ah, like that's startled, right? Mm-hmm. So then 
in order to see like if he could teach that behavior, teach that startle effect, he started pairing it with a white furry animal. So he paired the symbol enough times with the rabbit or whatever white fluffy thing. With a white rat. There you go. Mm -hmm. So paired it enough times to where the rat itself produced the startle effect. So essentially taught the child to be afraid of Mm -hmm. the rat. Every time he reached to touch the rat, he would make the loud noise. Exactly. That was conditioned, right? Mm -hmm. So when, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, probably too late, but, but that's parent, that's a pairing procedure, right? So it's what we talk about in classical conditioning. So, so anyways, uh, trained the child, little Albert to be afraid of the white rat. The kid was fucking terrified. See it, startle, cry, whatever. Then I think, did he introduce the white rabbit or? They then looked to see if that fear generalized. generalized. And so yeah. like yeah, anything did. white and fluffy. Yes, it did. That kid was terrified. So conditioned that response. And then the really crazy thing is never unpaired it. So never. It's like, awesome. I did it. Here's your fucked up baby back. Well, so <laughs> paired the response of the white fluffy thing to the sound of the symbol startle response and that is once a pairing is created it will continue to exist unless you unpair it so unless you present the white rabbit or the white fluffy thing many 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 times without the symbol so that's an unpairing procedure unfortunately watson didn't think to do that so my fear was my fear my conditioned fear was that little albert would grow up to be man albert and walk around the world being afraid of all little mm. furry things you know who that boy grew up to be alfalfa indiana jones's dad in <laughs> the last crusade afraid of rats. but i did some research on this and turns out they tracked down little albert mm. um years later he was living in england and he oh, had died oh that took a, that was a roller coaster i know <laughs> we what did what did the did, did his gravestone say like here lies man albert Boy, did he hate rats. (laughs) Yeah. You can visit it and people bring like stuffed animal rabbits and stuff and like bring them. That's me. He's afraid of them. I know. I'm just kidding. None of that is real. Uh, None of that was real? Dying is real. Did you even go to graduate school? I did. Okay, good. So that's all I got for today. That's good. Well, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Put a bow on it and we'll come back and we'll decide what to talk about next time. Love you. Oh, I love you too. Should we continue our smart goal then? I th- <laughs> One of my smart goals for this was to have things, <laughs> have the episodes be very brief because I don't like really rambly <laughs> podcasts. And yes, so- you do. You listen to you talk. You talk you two to me. You talk and you two to me. I know, but there the time it's is like two hours. I know sometimes. it's too much though. I had to I had to take it in chunks. So I was like, oh, we should have a half hour long one. Take and it then in chunks. That's a good podcast. Take name. it in take it in chunks where we talk to the guy that played Chunk from <gasps> the Goonies every week. Oh, we just call M- him God. Oh 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 M Jesus! Happy Easter! Happy Easter, baby! I I got a lot of Happy Easter texts today. Oh, Which, it's it's presumptuous. It is. Yeah. I was a little offended. I just think it's really interesting. It's just like a thing. It's just a, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not a religious thing that people wish you that. It's just like, I know, happy Sunday or yeah, happy zombie Jesus. 
I mean, Earth Day is tomorrow. We Christian can Happy Earth based. Day. Oh, that's a pa- probably a pagan holiday. I know. We can pretend to be pagans. Yesterday was This is a good text. 420. It was happy 420. Happy 420. Did you text everyone back? Happy 420? Yeah. I should. Yeah. Yeah. Real real good work text. Yeah. 